your Bibles with me, if you would, to uh, James. You can open to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. This would be, uh, Lord willing, our last uh, look into the study of the book of James. Uh, we have spent a number of weeks, actually months, uh, in the book of James. Um, we have been wrapping it up now for about a month. This will, be our, this will be one month that we have basically had a conclusion, if you will, uh, to this book. Uh, if you want to see hear the conclusion in its entirety, then you should go back a few weeks and listen uh, to the sermons uh, that are available online. If you want to listen to the whole study, of course, you can go back and do that also. I don't have time this morning, though, to rehearse all of the um, wrapping up, all of the review, because otherwise we would not see the things that we're going to see together uh, this morning. I would like to read James chapter 3. Uh, Brother John read this passage. I'll read it again, then we'll pray, and then we'll look at just a couple of things. Uh, this, this is a two-part message in a very real sense. Uh, however, I'm going to preach out of the book of James this morning, and then we'll be continuing our study of 2 Timothy this evening. And these two passages, these two things are going to uh, fit uh, together. We may look for just a moment at the end of our time together this morning at 2 Timothy, because what the Lord is really beginning to burden my heart a great deal about is the everyday life change that God is making in the book of James, I believe it is meant to bring us to a place of being the messenger of the promises that God would have us to be. I don't really believe that it's accurate or honest to say that you are arriving in the place that God would have you to be in your everyday life if your life is not being formed into service, selfless, loving service for those that you're living with and around. Uh, from your time here together uh, in our church family to the way you're interacting with your extended family, your coworkers and your neighbors, this is what I believe God is wanting to accomplish. The, the change that's being made in our lives is to conform us to the image of Christ. Uh, where, where sin does not reign in our lives. It does not have the power over us that it used to have. Where it changes us, listen, not into well-behaved religious people, but into people who are walking after the Spirit and not after the flesh. And I believe that this is true in our lives. Then we'll must needs go through Samaria in the, in the very same way that our Lord Jesus had meat to eat that others did not understand. It will be our everyday desire, the desire of our everyday life to indeed be done with lesser things, to walk with our Lord Jesus in the glory, and we'll see this in joy unspeakable and full of glory, the next study we're going to do. But this joy unspeakable and full of glory will, will necessitate that I have to tell others. And I will begin to realize the need, the need, and I mean deep, deep need of the generations behind us who are going to grow up in a completely different United States of America than the one that most of us grew up in. They are, you know, as Mrs. Dryley makes reference so often, the children in the, in, in the, in the, um, in the, in the America that they're growing up with now are inundated with such tremendous uh, attacks, such tremendous social 
attacks. They, uh, you know, the average young person in America sometime, you know, in their teen older teenage years has uh, not only access to a phone, but because of that they have access full-time uh, to the internet. And there are great profitable things that can be done uh, using the internet, and yet it is also the world system in a, in a single place. And so this is so critical. I really can't overstate this. Listen, please hear me. In a very real sense, this morning's message and this evening's message are a call to the service that God would have you to be involved with because of your merry worship. If you understand what I'm saying, not your Martha service, but having a life of sitting at the feet of our Lord Jesus so that when you get up from sitting at our Lord's feet, you would be glad to then be involved in the service that he would. In fact, you must be involved in it. It's one of those things where it would be in your own heart. Woe is me if I do not do the things that the Lord has burdened my heart about because my heart is so greatly, greatly encouraged in his goodness. I have to tell someone about how wonderful he is. So let's begin reading James chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 13. Again, the context of this has to do with the, the, the terrible, terrible, tragic nature of our tongue and how uh, the, uh, the tongue should not have any hurt in it for anybody else. There ought to be something wonderfully different in the wisdom that the children of God have. This is not true. This is not true in many churches in America. In most, most, without exaggeration, in most churches in America, there's more damage being done with the tongue than healing being done with the tongue. And this is not the way the Lord Jesus used his tongue, and it's not the way we are meant to use ours. So let's look at this in, beginning in verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts... Glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Our Father, thank you for giving us these, these minutes together in your word this morning. And Father, I ask you that you would accomplish by your own power, not only in the lives of those of us that are in this room right now, but in the lives of all of our brothers and sisters and not just those that are uh, members or regular attenders here at Tidewater, but all over the world, that your children would enter into this peaceable fruit of righteousness that you desire for all of us. Lord, that you would indeed, I cannot burden, I can motivate, I can excite, I can even um, entice your children to service. I could use strife and vainglory to get a lot done, Father. But this is not what you want to do. Lord, you're the only one. The love of Christ is the only thing that can really constrain your children to be the children that you want them to be, to be conformed to the image of our dear Savior, our precious Lord. 
Father, would you show your children, would you continue to show us all the difference between you and us, that we might be enamored, that we might be overwhelmed, that we might literally be transformed by your goodness and greatness, that the Spirit of God might change us from the, in our inward man or woman, that we might be changed and be the kind of people that you'd have us to be. Father, please, you do this work. We cannot, but we know it must be done. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The last thing that we look together at as we were concluding the book of James the last promise, the last thread that runs through uh, this book was, the, was, the, was one of prayer or asking. I want you to see that with me for just a moment again this morning. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We're going to start in verse uh, 2. And we're going to read uh, down through um, verse 5. My brethren, count it all. Count everything, count it only. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting or lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now I want you to examine this with me in the light of, of the entering into what we see in James chapter 3, this fruit of righteousness being sown in peace of them that make peace. How many, if you know, I want you to be honest, and, you're, and, and again, not to do this for the sake of anybody seeing you do this, but I'd like you to be honest, and I'd like, your, I'd like you to raise your hand if you've ever been involved on any level in serving others, you know, teaching, teaching any Sunday school class, any kind of ministry at all in the local church, any local church, if you've ever been involved in this, raise it nice and high if that's true of you. Go ahead and raise your hand nice and high. All right, so now go ahead and put your hands down. Now that was the vast majority, if not everybody in the room, uh, just raised their hand. Now again, and, I, and again, please do this just, just between you and God, but I, I think it'll be important for everybody else around you. How many of you have ever failed? while you were doing that, if you'd raise your hand also. Those of you that are aware of your failure while you've been doing that, okay, go ahead. Seems, like, seems to me like the same number of hands, pretty close. Maybe a couple of you haven't failed or don't understand what failure is. Um, I would have to say that if you didn't raise, if you raised your hand the first time and not the second time, I may not want you to teach my Sunday school class next time. Um, the reason that I mention this is, this is what we find in, uh, in uh, James chapter one, beginning in verse two. My brethren, count it all joy. And again, this is not, I used to, I really thought until we did this study, I really thought that count it all joy meant to count everything joy, all that's going on in your life. But that's not what it's saying. What it's actually saying is count it all, meaning only. So in other words, all the things that are going on in your life, only count those things joy. And here's why. Let's I'll read it again. My brethren, count it only joy when you fall into diverse temptations, when the trials of life are all around you, this is the same, fall into diverse temptation is the same exact Greek phrase as there was one that fell among thieves. So the idea is this, again, he didn't stumble down a hill and stand up and suddenly there were thieves everywhere. He was just walking along traveling from one place to another, when suddenly he found himself, without realizing it was going to happen, suddenly surrounded by those that were going to rob him, okay? So this is what happens. When you get saved, 
and you suddenly want only good in your life. You no longer want the selfish wickedness that you've been living in forever. What you find is it doesn't abandon you just because you don't want it anymore. What you find is those selfish things, the selfishness that you had around you without you and the selfishness that was within you, all of these things are still there, though you indeed are born again. Although you are a brand new creature, there is a warfare that is far more than you ever thought it was going to be as soon as you're saved. And what God says is, just count that joy. Because the promise of God changing our everyday life is this, he's going to win all of this warfare. He's going to win all the, he is going to, by the way. Now there are many, there are many children of God who just like the children of Israel spend the vast majority of their Christian life wandering in the wilderness. But you do not have to wander in the wilderness. By faith, you can cross over the River Jordan into all the will of God for your life. And you can follow the captain of your salvation as he conquers one foe after another in your life. You will find in Romans chapter 7 that if you try to do this in your strength, you will fail and then 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 you will fail. And you will will finally cry out, who shall deliver, oh wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But once you come to that point, you will trust the captain instead of yourself. And you will follow him and you will not walk after this flesh anymore. You will not trust yourself anymore, but you will trust the spirit of God which was given to you at the moment of your salvation. From the time you were saved, God Almighty came to live within you and has the power to conform you to the image of Christ, to make the difference in our lives. Now, what I want you to notice, this is such an important passage in, uh, in verse 5. Remember, at the end of verse 4, it is God's desire that you want nothing, right? Perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And again, that word want means to lack or to have, not have what you're supposed to have. It's the exact same Greek word, by the way, as the beginning of verse 5 where it says, if any of you lack wisdom. Same word, lack and wanting, same word. So here's what you do. I asked you the question, how many of you failed? And you raised your hand. So you failed. Now let me ask you this, what do you do? How many of you, by the way, have come to the realization that the worst failures in your life are not external failures? Does anybody understand what I mean when I say that? How many of you are aware that your external failures are not the problem? It's the internal failures that bring about the external failures. Anybody, anybody coming to an understanding of this, right? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Your external failures are a product of an internal heart problem. That's the problem. So here's what it says. If you lack, if any of you lack, praise God for the any, right? If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to who? All. Pos. Pos, by the way. Pos is all. They give it to all men. And how does it say he gives? Liberally. You know, there's a, there's a word that's often used for, for, for people who are socialistic, or extreme left wing in our, in our country. And, and the word is, is the word liberal. Well, they're not liberal. Do you know what liberal is? God is liberal. Do you, know what, do you know what it means to be liberal? Does anybody know what it means to be liberal? When you take your resources and gladly dispense them into the needs of others, you know what that is? That's liberal. Jesus is liberal. Christians are liberal. When somebody forces you to give them their money so that they can put it wherever they want to, that's socialism or communism. It's not liberal. Do you understand? 
You, it's a misnomer to call the extreme left in our country liberal. They're not liberal. They're, they're, they're socialist or they're communist. And, and this is not what God wants. God wants us to be liberal people. He, I hope you give regularly, not just to the church, but to those that are in need. I hope you're glad to be able to put the things that God puts into your hand and be able to help those that have needs in your life. Amen? That's what God wants us to be. But what he tells us for sure is that he is liberal. And by the word, the word, the word where it says, give it to all men liberally, the word literally means with both hands, fully, completely. Now picture this. The opposite of this would be a miser, right? Anybody, anybody understand the word miser, right? The, the word miser would be this. Sir, can you help me out? The, you know what the difference between a miser and a liberal is? A miser reaches into his change pocket, right, to see what he can do to help you. A liberal reaches into his wallet pocket to see what he can do to help you. Do you see the difference between those two things? God is not reaching into his change pocket for his children. God reaches into the depth of his riches to be able to pour out into your life tremendous riches. But the verse doesn't simply say, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who giveth to all men liberally. It also says this, and upbraideth not. And I am realizing more now than I did at the beginning of this study, which this passage came at the beginning of our study. But as we're concluding this study, I'm realizing this may be more important to us than I ever understood. Because here's what, boy, and I, am, I, have, I have historically, my children will tell you this, I have historically been terrible with this myself. Those who upbraid are like this. We measure what we've already given you and how you've dealt with the things that we gave you already, right? I think I might have done it here. I know I did it at another church that I was uh, preaching at not that long ago. Use this example. You're at, the, uh, you're at the carnival with your children. And again, I'm not a f fan of carnivals. It, had nothing, has, it just has to do with the fact that all of this stuff was driving down 64 yesterday, okay? Rackety, 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 rack. And then some guy who has nothing better to do for a living than build this thing on a ground that was just suddenly cleared yesterday so they could set all these rides up. And I'm going to give them money and get on one of the... I'm not getting on any of these rides. I want nothing to do with it. And I'm okay with one that was professionally built, you know, for millions and millions of dollars. And I don't mind paying them $20 or whatever to ride on the, although at my age, I don't want to ride the rides anymore anyway. Amen. I remember when we would go, listen, I remember when we would take our children to these places and some of our children were too young to get on the rides and my, and my in-laws would go with us and they would sit with our children while we went on these rides. And I thought, oh, they're just wasting their money. They're not getting any fun. Well, now I just want to sit with the children and watch the rides. Amen. Listen, listen. So you're there with your children, and they say, Mom, Dad, can I have whatever the appropriate amount of money is for being at a carnival, which ironically is not a dollar, okay? So let's just say that it's $10. I'm probably wrong. <laughs> let's just say it's $10. Can I have $10? And so you give them $10, and they go get anything, <laughs> a, a popcorn, right? And they come back a little while, and they say, can I have another $10? This, is what, this would be my response. Anybody, anybody hear this quote? What did you do with the other $10 that I gave you? And then they explained to you what they did with that $10. And this would be my response. Well, you should have done better with that $10 that I gave you. You didn't do a very good job with that $10. Listen, listen, now hear me. This is, it's comical because we all can relate to this. But this is the very key. That's upbraiding. That's what that is. I measure and I rebuke you for not handling as well as I would have. Let me ask you this. Do you suppose that the grace that God has given you you have handled 
as well as he would have handled it if it had been given to him? Yes or no? No. You're, you're in the ministry. You have heard this burden of your heart to be involved in the ministry, and you have not done well with it. And so you have cried out, Lord, please forgive me for not doing well. Please help me to do better. I promise, I'll, if you'll just give me grace, I promise to do. If you'll give me wisdom, I promise to do better. And he will liberally give you wisdom. And he will liberally give you great grace. And then you can, and this is what you do. Good, now I'll do a great job with this. And then what you'll find out quite quickly probably is this. I haven't done nearly as well with this as I thought I was going to. But because of the way my parents are, because of the way I am in my own heart, I don't know that I can go ask God for anything today. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe next week I can go and ask for some more grace. But what it means when it says, and upbraideth not is this. Just as soon as God liberally dispenses and you foolishly, because you need wisdom, waste that provision, just turn around and ask again. Can I have some more? And the answer will be this, yes. Yes, you can. Because I'm not like you are. Notice the only requirement in verse six, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. See, I would waver. I'm not worthy for you to give me another. You aren't worthy for me to give you the first thing I gave you. Do you understand? You, we measure grace all wrong. We measure grace as if we earned a little bit of favor with God so we felt comfortable asking for it. That's not grace. That's payment. Amen? And you can earn nothing from God. You and I have earned nothing from God. Jesus has earned everything for us. Amen? So I can come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of Need and my are you listen? If you're ministering regularly, you are regularly listen. This is what keeps people from service. They either labor in their own strength and are confident in that, which is tragic for everybody in our church, or or they know of their failure, so they withdraw. You cannot withdraw. There are too many needs for you to withdraw. There are too many places that God wants to minister to. There are too many hearts that God wants to touch. We must be able to have the wisdom that is from above poured out into our lives. So how do we get it? We ask for it. Right? Now look, do you want to see where this is? The only restriction is just to ask. Let's go to chapter 4 where we find out why there's asking and not receiving. For whence come wars and fightings among you. Right? Verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Here's the problem with church. Again, look up here. This is the problem with church. You have, you have in your life selfish lust. Now again, the word lust does not have to be sexual. It just has to be selfish. You have selfish lust, and so do I. You know what our real problem is? They don't get, they don't get along with each other. What you want in your flesh and what I want in my flesh seldom agree. Therefore, and by the way, only by pride cometh contention. If there's contention, there's pride, not on one person's part. This is a misunderstanding. If there's contention, there's pride on both people's part. If there's, if there's pride in one person's part, there will be pride and there will be agony, loving 
agony for the other one because Jesus does not have contention with any of us. Do you understand? You can be proud and Jesus still loves you and wants to rescue you from your pride. But your pride and my pride, they don't get along. Do you understand? So what does it say? From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even from of your lust that war in your members? So each of our members individually have different lusts and when they conflict, when they run into each other, then we have trouble in the church. But that doesn't have to be the case because Kenny can walk after the Spirit. He's a new creature. I can walk after the Spirit because I'm a new creature and the Holy Spirit has no problem with what he's asking Kenny to do and what he's asking me to do. By the way, they're not even the same thing. What God the Holy Spirit is asking Kenny to do and what God the Holy Spirit is asking me to do are not the same thing, but I do not have to find fault with what he's doing. He does not have to find fault with what I'm doing. He has to answer to his Lord. I have to answer to my Lord who happened to be the same Lord and that ought to give us wonderful fellowship. Brother, you do your part. I'll do my part. We'll both do it as well as the grace of God will allow for us, as long as we'll walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. Amen? Very simple to forgive one another once you realize, my brother's only failing in the same way that I do, or my sister's only failing in the same way that I do. Now listen, we never fail in exactly the same way. That's the problem with our lust. So what happens is this, my brother's not failing in the same way I would. He's failing far worse than I would ever fail, because I'm not bad. Do you understand? You're just lying to yourself. Isn't that not, is that not what it says in chapter 3, verse uh, 14? If you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, glory not. Stop bragging about your ministry and lie not against the truth. And stop lying about it to yourself. This is our problem. This is our problem. And this is where, listen, this is where God wants to give victory in our everyday life. And it's happening. I'm watching it happen here at Tidewater right now. I'm seeing it unfold in the lives of many people at the same time where we're not walking after the flesh, where people are really beginning to walk after the Spirit. But again, if we're going to walk after the Spirit, our lives should begin to be filled with wonderful, selfless service to one another and to all of those that would come and be around us. Not just here, but every place that we go. That's what God will do. Now let's keep reading. You lust, this is verse 2 of chapter 4. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. Right? Chapter 1. You ask and receive not. Why would I, if I, because some people say, no, I do ask. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Oh, here's my problem. Here's my problem. I'm me, 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 me centered in my prayer. I only want what I want. I've not come to understand. Listen, the great grace that, wants, that God wants to, listen, this is so important. The great grace that God is willing to pour out in, in the life of a humble man or woman who is aware of their failure, he cannot pour out in the lives of those who would arrogantly use the things that he would give to them. So if we'll humble ourselves, God gives grace to the humble, but he what? Resists the proud. God does not want to have to resist any of us, none of us. God wants to what? Liberally dispense into our lives and he does not want to upbraid us. Listen, God only says no when you're being selfish. If you will trust him and be honest, John talked about it this morning. I can't remember what the two things he said. He was talking about how it would have changed our teenage lives if it had been true. Humility and honesty. If there, if there, then he went on to say how it's so just as very much necessary in our lives today. Listen, I promise you, if you'll have humility and honesty, that's it. Honestly, listen. If you'll have humility and honesty, God will do great things in your life. 
That's it. Just humility and honesty. Zero ability. Zero ability. Humility and honesty. And God will be glad to use you as a vessel unto honor. In a great house, there are many vessels. In every church, there are many people involved in many ministries, but not all of them are, not all of them are unto honor, meaning not all the vessels are unto honor. Now listen, the difference between whether you're a vessel unto honor, whether I'm a vessel unto honor, has nothing to do with the church that you belong to, nothing to do with your goodness. It has to do with your humility and your honesty. And we'll see that together tonight. We will see that God wants us all to be wonderfully involved in the ministry that he would call for us. The only reason that this would not be true is because of selfishness in our own lives. Now, turn to the end of the book, James chapter 5. Because remember, we're looking at the idea of asking, and we're looking at it, and we're going to go back to verse three, chapter 3 in a little bit. But I want you to see the idea of asking. Go to verse 16. Here at the end of the book, you'll find the word prayer, and, and it's before verse 16 also, but I'm going to read verse 16. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now that's the very end of this book. So what, you, what we have at the beginning, right, put your finger here, what we have at the beginning is uh, knowing, excuse me, verse uh, 15, excuse me, verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5, what we have at the beginning is if any of you lack wisdom, any of you, this is individually, if any of you lack wisdom, let him individually ask of God that give it to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. So the, that the beginning of this book is an honest Humble, crying out for God to help you over and over and over and over. Liberally and not upbraiding you, just trusting him. How the book ends is us being together, confessing our faults one to another. Now listen, listen, hear me. We're not talking about, I'm not the husband that I wish I was. I'm not the father that I, I am. We are talking about that. But we're talking about far deeper things than this. Far more terrible things than this. Do you know why Christians don't have this level of conversation with each other? Because it'll become the source of gossip, not the source of help. Do you understand? God wants to so change you and I that Kenny and I, that Kenny and I, that I could sit down with Kenny and say, literally, the passage in its context is saying this, Kenny, I am so sick of this sin in my life that I'm actually sick of this sin in my life. I am actually physiologically overwhelmed at this point with my own failure. Brother, let me tell you what's wrong. Will you pray for me? And for Kenny to fervently pray for me to such a degree that it not only rescues me from the actual physical difficulty that's in my life, 
but then covers, hides, gets rid of all of the sin that's happened in my life. And not only that, because he doesn't have to tell anybody else about it, and not only that, it keeps me from living that way going forward because of the grace of God given as a result of that prayer. Amen? That's church. That's what the church family is meant to be like. Not people pretensively coming on Sunday and acting as if I'm fine, aren't you? I mean, what's wrong with you guys? My life is perfect. Well, I'm perfect. My life's not perfect because I am married and have children, you know. But, but I'm perfect. This is not true of us. No, it's not true of us. And by the way, if there's any victory in our lives, and praise God, in most of our lives there's actually great victory going on right now, it's the grace of God that's given this victory in my life. It is simply that I have learned to understand that I am woeful, that I am, my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, and I'm just beginning to figure this out, and I'm crying out for grace all the time, all the time, all the time, and God is beginning to cause me to trust him to change me into the kind of person that he would have me to be, and I have nothing to brag about at all, except for Jesus. And I'll gladly brag about Jesus, because Jesus is the one that's made, amen? Yes or no? Jesus is the one that's made, if there's any difference in your life, any difference in your life at all, Jesus made that difference. Or you're just pretending. And I tell you, great will be the fall of your pretense. You can build whatever scaffolding that you want and you can paste whatever facade you want on it, but I promise you, as soon as the ground shakes underneath it and the ground will shake underneath it, it'll all come crashing down. Or you can let Jesus build upon the rock that he is in your own life, in the inward man and, or woman, and make the difference that he wants to make. Amen? This is, what God, this is truly what God wants to accomplish in our lives. So at the beginning of the book, God says, trust me, Trust me, just trust me and come to me. Just trust me and come to me. Just trust me and come to me. Until you so much trust him that somebody else says, I think I can go talk to him or her. I think they would help me. I don't think they would talk to others about my shortcoming. I don't think that they would, would, would make fun of me because of my failure. Because I think they understand the upbraiding not, that God has done in their life. Maybe they will pray with me about the failure in my life. Maybe I can be honest with them. And then you can go and we can pray for one another. And that's what God wants to do. And praise God. And praise God. That's the purpose of the church. That's the whole new quality of life in our everyday life that God is talking about. Now we'll finish by going back to James Chapter 4, excuse me, chapter 3. Verse 13 again. Who is a wise man? Now, by the way, what was the lacking in verse 5 of chapter 1? What was lacking? Anybody know? Wisdom. What was lacking was wisdom. So if it says in verse 13, who is a wise man? That must be somebody who realized there was a lack of it, right? What is, again, let's just take our Lord's first words. Put your, put your ribbon here. Turn back to Matthew. Matthew, anybody know where we're going? If we're going to talk about our, first, uh, the, our Lord's first words in his public teaching. Where the, where, where does, where's the first public address that we see our Lord giving? It's in Matthew chapter 5, right? It's, it's often been given the name the Beatitudes. I'm not a fan, personally, of the Beatitudes name. The idea, Beatitudes, is the blessed. But let's just, call, let's just say the word blessed, because it has nothing to do with buzzing little animals, okay? All right? <clears throat> blessed. So, so, listen, listen. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, and notice what he says. This is the very first thing he says. Blessed 
are the what? Poor in spirit. Where does it start? In humility. Where does it start? In humility. Blessed are those who don't know and know that they don't know. Because guess what? You don't know. One of, the, one of the greatest tragedies that I find in my own life is I do not know my own shortcomings, and neither do you. Because if we knew them, we would confess them. But we don't know them. The Apostle Paul went so far as to say this, the things that he thought were gain in his life. I have thought things that I thought were strengths in my life. Things that I thought were not only profitable to me in the ministry, but were probably the source, if I had any victory in my ministry, they were the source of that victory. And what God says is, nope. Just a pile of trash. All of your greatness, just a pile of trash. Take it out. Right? How many of you, how many of you have a trash can in your house? Raise your hand if you have a trash can in your house. I mean, either you're sleeping or, or, or you're lying, one or the other. Or I don't want to visit your house, one or the other, okay? Everybody has a trash can. How many of you empty the trash can in your house regularly? Raise your hand if you empty the trash can in your house regularly. Right. Even if you don't, men, your wife makes you, Okay? It's like, well, I wasn't in the kitchen. I didn't notice how bad it was in there yet. Amen? Right? Why do we empty it? Because it's refuge. It's terrible. We don't, it's refuse, excuse me. We don't want it in our house. It has to go. And by the way, the Apostle Paul uses a worse word than that to talk about the things that he thought were profitable in his life. He says they were dung. That's a different room in your house. And that leaves immediately. Do you understand? No, listen, that's what God says. And here's the thing. The things that you think, your pride says, this is my strength. And God says, you need a flush because that can't stay in the house anymore. This is what God wants us to understand. It begins with blessed are the poor in spirit. You can never be a help to your brothers and sisters until you learn to be able to come boldly to the throne of grace because of the humility you have and the confidence you have in the blood of Christ that cleanses you from all sin and can change you from the inside out. So now go back to chapter three, because it says, who is a wise man? A wise man is someone who has the wisdom to know that he's poor in spirit, that he does not have and he has to get it from God. So who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him, let that person show out of a good conversation. Now that word good conversation means a good or a kalos, which is just an exceptional, by the way, an exceptional life. Not the way you talk, but the way you live. So what this is saying is, if God has really given you wisdom, then in a meek and lowly way, live a marvelously wonderful life. That's what this is saying. Who is a man, a wise man and a dude with a knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. This is what we need at our church this is what we need in all the churches in America today. This is what we need in all the churches throughout the world. Listen, listen. People, people who come to God to give them what they do not have so that they can be changed, so that we can minister our conversation. Listen, bring your children. You should be, you should not, you should be able to. Our, we should be full of things, activity. We'll talk about it tonight. We have so many ministries in our church, but the purpose of the ministries isn't to talk about the ministry. You know, uh, Alicia was just saying the other day, talking about, we're talking about the welcome center and saying hi to the visitors and stuff like that. And Alicia said, one of the things that our church doesn't, nobody knows the ministries of our church until you've been here long enough to run into, bump into to, to most of them. And, and that's true. I realize that. But the purpose of the ministries isn't to have, obviously it's not, nobody even knows we have those 
the number of ministries that we have. But the purpose of all of the ministries are simply to meet all of the needs that God is identifying to us. But the only way we can meet those needs is if you, you, say yes to the calling of God upon your life. And it begins by acknowledging that you lack so that God can perfect you. Right? Go back again. Just go back to the verse. And just look at it. It's the verse just before this in verse 4. So first, uh, James chapter 1, verse 4. But let patience have her perfect work that ye may be complete, perfect, and entire, wanting nothing. The only way that that can be true is if you acknowledge that you're not wanting nothing. So God says, but when you realize you lack, ask, and I'll give it to you. And I'll give it liberally, and I won't hold anything back. This is what God wants us to see in the book of James. Now, what I want you to end with this. Again, verses, verses 14 through 16. This is true. This is true. This is true in every ministry on some level. And it, and it needs to not be true on any level, not just at Tidewater, but in all churches. But notice what it says again. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your heart, glory not. And lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above. It's earthly, sensual, devilish. You can be very religious and still be earthly, sensual, devilish. If it's your own pride, it's terrible. But, and it says, for where envy and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work, right? As opposed to the good works that we see in verse 13, where there's strife, there's evil work. God doesn't want that. None of our ministries can have evil in them. We would all say, of course not, pastor. But see, where we have selfishness, there is evil. So acknowledge your selfishness. All of us acknowledge our selfishness that we can be set free from it. But the wisdom that's from above, and thank God, I want you to just picture your Lord Jesus when I read this. But the wisdom that's from above is first pure, and he is wonderfully pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The only one that you can see that perfectly in is our Lord Jesus Christ, but it can be the reality for all of us, and it's meant to be the reality. Again, listen, hear me, and this is what I'm going to close with. If verses 17 and 18 are not becoming your everyday life, then you're being robbed of what God wants to give you. Because God does not want Sunday to be different than Monday or Saturday. God wants all the days of our life to be filled with this good conversation. Yes, it's important. Listen, hear me. You should have each other over to your houses you should, you, we should go places together. We should do things here together. It shouldn't matter what the circle looks like. It shouldn't matter who comes and who's there. It shouldn't matter who you invite. When we get together, we should open the word of God in humility together and ask God to give us what we need together. Amen? Do, listen, in other words, never show off. Just ask God. Do you understand? When you're around one another, acknowledge your own shortcomings. Don't, <laughs> hey, brother. I had you over today because I just wanted to acknowledge your shortcomings, right? Hey, well, don't invite me over again, okay, because I'm not coming. you understand? This is not what God wants for us. Now, listen, honestly, and we're not going to go here again, but there needs to be the ability. Every one of you needs to know, and you, and you can know this about your pastor. You can come and tell, and honestly, you come tell me anything. And not only will I not judge you for it, I'll probably forget it. L literally, forget it. Literally, forget it. 
And I'm glad that I do. One of the, I, I've asked the Lord to let me not hold anything against anybody, ever. And one of the things that I find is people come talk to me about something, I'm not exactly, literally, if you had been in some of the conversation, I have no idea what people are talking about sometimes. None. I said that to you. Was anybody else there? Because I don't remember hearing that. Amen? God wants to rid us of all selfishness in our lives. And, I, and again, I know I can only say this for myself. I would rather be a man that forgets everything and just loves my brothers and sisters than being someone that, that, that comes across as knowing what he's talking about and hurts other people. That's what God wants to make in our lives. This is the victory. This is the victory of the Holy Ghost living within us. That we would be able to help one another. That we would never hurt each other, right? The whole problem with chapters, end of chapters 2 and beginning of chapter 3 is the tongue. The whole problem with it is the tongue. God rescue us all from our tongues, amen? But the only way to have our tongues rescued is to have our hearts rescued. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And again, it's the overflow. I used to really think that when I said or did bad things, it was because, oh, that, that had to come out because I don't have much of that in me. That little bit had to get out of there. And when I realized is that passage is making it very clear, no, 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 no. There was so much of that in you that some of it must spill out. And what God wants to do is to give us victory in all of these things. Ah, uh, I know what's going on. All right. Father, thank you for this time together this morning. <laughs> Lord, I love you. We love you. Lord, I pray that you would give just tremendous victory to all of your children, Lord, that you would cause us to understand what you're showing us, not only here in James, but what we're going to see tonight in 2 Timothy, and how we can have a life of wonderful ministry, but just not in our strength, just not in our selfishness. But Lord, we can have tremendous victory. We can come, just humbly ask over and over and over again. We can come and ask because you want to change us. And then we can be changed to such a degree that we can live a life of good works without any boasting, without any bragging, without any strife, without any vainglory, to such a degree that people could come and talk to us about anything and we could pray for one another and cover a multitude of sins and have tremendous victory in our church and in the churches around us. We thank you, Father, for all of these things in Jesus' name.